Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for this day and we ask that you empty us all the stress and anxiety and fear that we carry and fill us with your spirit that only your word may be spoken and only your word heard. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please have a seat. It's always fun to be down here in the contemporary service. I get to preach without vestments, which is a lot cooler. And so I'm glad to be here with you all today. Over this last few weeks in this Easter season, I have been focusing a lot in the church about the Acts of the Apostles. And so today I kind of want to catch up with that in here as well. See, we like to focus a lot on Jesus. We like to focus on what Jesus did and what he taught and the miracles and all of that good stuff. But we don't often get as much attention about what happened after Jesus ascended. And so just this past week, we celebrated the ascension. We celebrated the moment when Jesus, after his resurrection, actually left and ascended into heaven, and then his followers were just there. They were left and they were trying to figure out what it was that they were called to do. And so that group of people who actually knew Jesus, plus the group of people who were introduced to Jesus right there in that first century, were left to figure a lot of stuff out. And we are the beneficiaries of much of what they figured out, thank God. And so we have stories in Acts of the Apostles about what those people did in that first century, how they spread the good news, how they made decisions. There were a number of important decisions that they had to reach. The first being, do you have to be Jewish to follow Jesus? And that seems kind of like an odd question to ask. But if you think about Jesus as the fulfillment of the messianic promise of Judaism, well, then it kind of makes sense. Maybe you're supposed to be Jewish in order to follow the Jewish Messiah. But there are a number of things that happened that helped the leaders in that first century know they were not supposed to be Jewish in order to follow Jesus. Do you remember a couple weeks ago when Peter had this vision of the sheet coming down out of heaven filled with all kinds of weird foods? And God said, kill and eat. And Peter looked at all this stuff in the sheet and he said, well, I can't eat that. That's not kosher. And so he told God, here's the thing about that. So in my opinion, if you see a vision and you see weird things coming out of the sky and then you hear a disembodied voice that says eat, just eat it. Um, but Peter, of course, said, nah, nah, you know, I'm not supposed to, um, you know, and then the voice said, if I've made something clean, it is clean. And that vision moment really helps us to understand that God makes clean anything and everything. And so regardless of where you're from and what you've done and who you are, you can be made clean. And when God makes one clean, they are clean, period. And so this gets a ball rolling where people begin to bring a lot of people to Jesus. And so today we hear a story from Acts about Paul and Silas. Paul had received a vision and was told to go to Philippi. Now, we know Philippi through the Philippians. That's a book in the Bible. And if you've not read it, I highly recommend it. It's lovely. It's a great, great book. But Paul went to Philippi and really began the church there. And last week, we heard the story of meeting Lydia. Lydia was a critical, important person in the creation of the community at Philippi. Well, fast forward to today, and Paul's been around, and he and Silas are working the crowd and bringing people and telling people the good news. And there's a woman who is kind of stalking them and yelling at them, essentially. This woman is 
sort of strange. She has the power of divination, which the way that the story goes essentially means she's got a spirit in her. And people have discovered that she can kind of divine the future. We are not entirely sure. But there are some men who are making a lot of money on her ability to do whatever it is that she can do. And so she's walking around, following Paul and Silas, yelling about who they are. And Paul finally has enough of this and turns around and casts the spirit out, and she is no longer a diviner. Well, good for her. We have this wonderful moment where it's like a healing, and we can be excited for her, but the men who have been making money on this poor child get mad. And so they begin to accuse Paul and Silas of causing an uproar, of disturbing the peace. And so Paul and Silas are arrested, they are tried, they are beaten, they are jailed, and they're put in the innermost cell. This is the worst of the worst in the prison, shackled to the floor in this cell. At that point, we might think that Paul or Silas would do any number of things, but I wonder if we would think that they would pray and they would sing, and that's what they do. They pray and they sing and they pray and they sing for hours, and then in the middle of the night, there's a great earthquake and the doors fly open and the shackles break and then the guard who's supposed to be keeping them secure keeping not just Paul and Silas but everyone secure in the prison he assumes when he wakes up that all the prisoners have escaped and so he does something quite dramatic he pulls his sword and thinks about ending it all because essentially I guess it'd be better to just end it there than to suffer whatever kind of torture or torment that Rome would give him for letting the prisoners escape. And then out of the cell, Paul's voice cries out and says, hey, we're still here. So don't kill yourself. Don't hurt yourself because we are still here. And he runs in and he falls to his feet and his mind and his heart are opened up to this good news. And then his entire family is baptized and the word continues to be spread and it's a fantastic moment. I say all of that because we come to church each week and we hear stories from scripture that are meant to help us navigate what is happening in our world around us. And this week is more than normal. This past week has been beyond the average. We have all in some way been affected by the shooting that happened not too far from here. It was a scary week, a week that is filled with that kind of pit in your stomach of evil, that reminder that there's really bad stuff in this world. Once again, a community has been devastated. Hearts have been broken. Parents are mourning and people are asking themselves, what can we do? I don't know about you, but it's the moment when I have that helpless feeling that I hate. I hate feeling as if there's not much that I can do, feeling as if there's stuff swirling around me totally out of my control. And then people begin to get angry and they start to despair and they start to point fingers and they start to get mean. And all of this is happening around us. And then as I prepared today, I read this story from Acts. And there are so many um, remarkable moments in this story, but the one that really spoke to me this week was the guard. So here this guard is just doing his job. The guard is just doing what he's supposed to. And there's this massive earthquake. The world literally shakes all around him and things begin to fall apart and break. 
And as he wakes up to this destruction, his first response is helplessness. Things are out of his control. And he reaches despair very quickly, and he's about to end it all. And Paul's voice comes out from the cell, reminding him that he's not alone. This week, when I saw story after story after story of the horrible things happening, I kind of got that feeling of being alone, of feeling like there was nothing good I could do. And yet God's presence was still there. That I think for us is what's most powerful about reading stories that happened hundreds and hundreds of years ago. When things happen today that are out of our control, that are horrible, that are tragic, that are evil, we can actually find some inspiration around God's presence again. Because whether it feels good or not, and it's not gonna feel great, we know that God was present in that school. <laughs> Sorry, I meant to say this without... We know that those children were not left alone. We know that their families are not alone now. We know that we, in anger and despair and frustration, God does not leave us alone either. God's presence is something that we can often take for granted. But when bad things happen, we are reminded in a very real way that God does not ever leave us alone. God's heart's the first to break, and God is right there to help people like us to actually do something to make the world better. Each one of us are called. We are called to use our gifts to do something good in the world. Now, we may not be able to prevent all bad things happening, but we absolutely have gifts that we can use right now, today, tomorrow, next week, and next month, to do good in the world, to help shine light when the world seems so dark. And it doesn't mean that we will prevent the next bad thing from happening, but we are called to do something positive, regardless of politics, regardless of what you think on either side of anything. We don't want our children to feel unsafe. We don't want them to be hurt. We don't want our neighbors to feel unsafe or to be hurt. What has happened in our world again is something none of us want to happen. And we may not be able to prevent the next tragedy, but we can act today. We can help remind one another that there is always hope. We can be that voice coming out of the darkness that reminds the people around us, maybe even us, that we're not alone. God's call to us is one that will not fix every problem, but will sustain us and carry us and boost us when things seem so very dark. As we look forward to the summer, I want us to begin to imagine that we get a chance to rest, that we get a chance to be renewed, that we can be refreshed, that we actually have the opportunity to be refilled with the Spirit, that what has exhausted us, what has caused us pain, what has broken our hearts, can actually be used to fill us up in remarkable ways. Over these next few months, we're all going to get a chance to have a break in some capacity, and I hope that when you do, you invite God to kind of come back into you, to fill you up and to give you renewed energy, to even carry you if you can't lift yourself up, because you, each one of you, 
has been given a great gift. And God is not done with you. God's not done with me. God's not done with us. We have a lot that we can do. And whenever the world seems scary, know that you are not alone. You are not alone. You have each other. You have God's presence. And you have God's strength. When we are weak, God is strong. And it is through God's strength that we not only carry on, but we can help in our own hopefulness and faithfulness to make the world the kind of world we wish it to be and the kind of world God hopes that it will be. Each one of us has some strength. And in God's good faith, we can use it to make the world better. Amen.